BET is the global meeting place for the education community. A trusted brand with more than 30 years of heritage, the BET series promotes the discovery of knowledge and technology to enhance lifelong learning. This episode of the EdTech Podcast is sponsored by FormAssembly, a leading web form builder and data collection platform for colleges and universities. With its drag-and-drop interface, robust integrations and high standards of security and compliance, FormAssembly helps hundreds of customers in the higher education industry streamline data collection processes for students, staff and alumni. For more information about FormAssembly, visit formassembly.com forward slash edtech. So it's about really bringing it into the spotlight now and and saying, you know, we're here, we want to be heard, we want to be seen, we want to be believed, we want to be acknowledged, um, and we want to be included in society, in every aspect of society. So there's there's no more ignoring us anymore. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. This time, we are back with our last What Matters in EdTech series episode for 2020. So huge thank you for following and listening in. This week, we are looking at SEND and neurodiversity, specifically some personal stories and frustrations. Being a parent of a child um, who is currently trying to navigate a system in lockdown is incredibly hard. Some hopes for change across policy, technology and education. It's actually, you know, reasonable adjustment is a legal requirement. By, yeah. You know, it's in the law. You know, organisations, including education, that has to meet this legal requirement um, mm. around accessibility and inclusion. Yet I think for a lot of people, it's still just this idea of, well, no, actually, I don't really have to do that. And some resources and tools for all of you listeners to help increase accessibility. We've got all these lovely tools. We've got all these students. But how how do we engage them um, and, and how do we personalise it? And one thing that I think has been really lacking is the feedback that, that teachers give students. And that is extremely important when it comes to those um, students with SEND, um, that, that they are getting that personalised experience still when they're not in the classroom. If you love this episode and want a go-to list of EdTech for SEND and neurodiversity needs, I also recommend that you listen back to our episode 170 from the last series, which works well alongside this one. Okay, here we go. So, uh, it's Friday. Um, I am very pleased to have uh, Nicole Ponsford and uh, Liz Wright here with me today. And we're chatting uh, SEND and neurodiversity. Um, for those who don't know uh, Nick, Nick is the CEO and co-founder of the GEC, which is a platform, charter and community for change. And she's also the Southwest Regional Lead for the EdTech Demonstrator Programme. Uh, Nick is also a doctorate researcher and a Harvard co-author of Techno Teaching, as well as being a proud member of the EdTech 50. And uh, as for Liz, Liz Wright is a Paralympic swimmer, originally from Australia and now resident here in the UK. Uh, She won bronze at the 1996 Summer Paralympics and a bronze and silver at the 2000 Summer Paralympics. Uh, Liz is also the editor of Disability Review magazine and has a Master of Philosophy in Fine Arts. Um, So welcome both. 
Hello. Thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so thank you very much for bearing with me. We've had a few uh, technical challenges this morning, but I'm really excited. We've got 32 minutes to pack full of uh, really fantastic uh, content for our listeners. And I know that, you know, there's going to be a lot of personal stories here. So um, I guess first question, how did you two get to know one another? Oh, wow. Um, Through the medium of Twitter, I think. And Nick, didn't you say that you'd been basically stalking me for a while and then you were like, Liz, come and join GC? I had a bit of a cyber crush on Liz and I'd kind of seen her work. <laughs> and at the time, um, so obviously sort of doing stuff with the GC, the Global Equality Collective, we're, we're sort of looking at all the different characteristics and how we can help um, leaders in business and in education. And um, sort of looking around disability and anti-ableism is something that really interests me. It's, it's kind of, I think actually in COVID, it's moving from being a kind of a bolt-on subject um but for personal reasons um um it's always been of of huge interest and and a real passion and sort of inclusion in the classroom and so when I seen what Liz was doing and she's so super cool as well yeah I've sort of been stalking her and then I I pounced I think didn't I I pounced and and tried to do a charm offensive on you (laughs) it worked hey it totally worked so (laughs) um yeah I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear um Moving on from that, I've got here, what is your personal connection to the subject of SEND and neurodiversity? So, uh, yeah, who'd like to go first on that one? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it's uh, very visible. I have a very visible <laughs> disability. So, um, you know, you just have to really, you know, if if any of the listeners look up a photo of me, it'd be like, ah, that's the connection. I, <laughs> I was born um, with... Uh, what the doctors called congenital limb deficiency, but what I prefer to call limb difference, which is a more neutral um, term than kind of, you know, deficiency means that I'm I'm missing something, but I certainly don't feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> so um, so I prefer to, to call myself or identify as limb different. So that's, you know, my connection. Having grown up my whole life with um, uh, missing half my right arm and half my le- right leg and having to wear a prosthetic and and everything like that, you know, I've been I've been through every layer or, or every area of society where um, disability discrimination can happen, including education um, and inc- including tech, you know, and and, and dealing hmm. with those issues as as they've they've kind of popped up and stuff like that. So that's you know my very obvious connection to to the topic. And I, I guess we were all sort of um, growing up during the 80s. So I, I'd be really interested to hear, Liz, your experience of um, any sort of success stories, but also failures in terms of education, supporting your your needs as you were sort of going through that um, stage of, of learning and growing, I suppose. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, definitely, you know, I was born in 1979. And, you know, even, you know, especially at that time, you know, you're still kind of in that almost like Victorian perspective of what disability is and how we should treat that, you know, so much so that that my parents elderly neighbor asked them when they were when were they going to put me in a home? Um, (laughs) You know, I just have this very Victorian image in my head of my parents shuffling me off to hide me away in some Mm. um, home for for disabled people and and all this stuff so you know that was kind of the climate that my parents were really fighting against when when I was born and certainly that was reflective in 
um, the initial stages of, of my schooling. So, um, you know, the New South Wales Education Department wanted to send me to a special school in the, the neighbouring suburb and my mum was having none of that. She, um, you know, as far as my mum was concerned, she was like she has a physical disability, she doesn't have any um specific learning needs um, or she won't really need any specific learning support. Um, So I want her to go to a a mainstream school. And um, she really worked hard in the years leading up to to me starting school with the local primary school. She'd take me up um, while she did canteen duty and the teachers would get to know me, the the head teacher got to know me. And and in the end, when it came to fighting the, the New South Wales Education Department, she had the entire school behind her. You know, they wanted me to come um, to, to the school. Um, so the New South Wales Education Department um, allowed me a three-month trial at the local primary school <laughs> to see not only how I would cope, but also how the other students and the teachers would cope. And um, and obviously, you know, I passed that with flying colours, as did the school. They coped absolutely fine. I The other kids, because, you know, especially kids at that age, yes, they might be a bit curious, but they don't have those um, kind of deeply inbuilt prejudices Mm. yet um so I might have looked different to them but I was still another kid to play with and so I was readily accepted by my peers and um and you know in general I had a really really positive schooling experience there were the odd moments so you know one I talk a, a story I tell quite often is in year three um we had a craft teacher uh and she uh, decided one week that we were going to do weaving. And uh, I remember distinctly her handing out weaving frames and yarn to all the other kids. And then in front of me, she plonked down a colouring in book and some pencils. And mm-hmm. I come from a really crafty and arty family. And my mother's always encouraged me to, to do art and craft so much. So, you know, I learned how to knit when I was seven. You know, this is the kind of family I was raised in. Mm-hmm. So me and year three, I'm sitting there gobsmacked going, but I want to do what all my friends <laughs> doing why can't I um but she had this you know this particular teacher she had Mm. this um presumption in in her mind that I wouldn't be able to do this activity but you know without even asking me if I wanted to try at least try it um so it took me being really upset and going home every Tuesday afternoon after craft class because I couldn't do what my friends were doing um for mum to come up and have a word with the teacher and the head teacher and what do you know the week after? I had a loom and some yarn Ooh. and I could actually weave. And so um, every woman's dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Put it on the Christmas like, list. <laughs> it, was, it was the best thing ever. And you know what? For, for me, I think, you know, of course there were other instances Um you know, uh, case in point, I wanted to join band one year. The, the most that, that they thought that I could play was the triangle for some reason, even though I'm like, hello, you need to to have two hands to play a triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, case in point, um, now I'm learning how to play the piano and I'm and I'm up to level four. Like I'm, I'm playing a certain degree of difficulty. So I think... Um, you know, with with school and education, a lot of it is about busting through those assumptions and yeah. stereotypes and tropes and ideas and narratives around disability and what disabled children mm. can do, and really just dismantling them and and empowering actually teachers to feel confident about um, supporting um, a wide variety of disability within the classroom and the school. And so much of that 
uh, story is about, you know, your mum being such a, a sort of strong woman, not taking any of this on, you know, on, on your behalf as well and sort of fighting your corner when you're at an early age. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Nick, that sort of brings me to you. <laughs> um, you know, what, what's your personal connection? And I know uh, I was looking at your website yesterday and this morning. So you, you sort of sitting on the cornerstones of uh, <laughs> of education and technology. But so I suppose you've got the tech side, but also the personal yeah. side I'd love to hear about. Yeah, so um, so my dad was actually a flamidomide baby, so he he um, didn't have one of his hands, and and that's and I grew up with 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 him, and um, it was completely normal. Um, you know, he'd hide his arm in the bed as a kind of a joke, <laughs> so, stuff like that. And um, brilliant, yeah, and uh, you know, and you know that 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 was our normal like you know he was dad and um and I never really thought about it until kind of went to school and I remember someone in the playground sort of saying oh you know aren't you embarrassed and and I was like well no why like why would I I'm a bit embarrassed for you <laughs> asking me that and I and I think that kind of attitude in me that you know like this this is not a problem this is not you know this is there's no problem he was a welder by trade so wow you know, that, that's, that's what, you know, that's how we made a living. So um, I kind of came from that point growing up. And um, I think when I became a teacher, I remember things like people trying to, um, I had a, a new tech room, um, you know, all the lovely IMAX and stuff in, in 2005 with a, a new Labour Academy. And they were trying to look at how someone in a wheelchair would come in. But lots of people who obviously had never been in a wheelchair came in to kind of map the room out. And I, hmm. I remember saying, well, why, why don't you ask someone to come in to check it out? Like, who is maybe in a wheelchair? Um, and uh, that was met with sort of lots of frowns and oh, can we do that? And it's like, well, yeah, of course you can. Don't, don't be mad. <laughs> um, and then, um, for, then when I had my son and my son's got needs and we're on a, a very difficult lockdown pathway um, to help him get assessed. But, um, so I've come from it as a parent, so I, I completely understand that that parent having to battle with the education system of, you know, trying to, to make it bend to the needs of your child. And I think that's kind of where everything kind of comes in a sort of intersectional point of view with me that um, I, I, my background is, you know, using technology and obviously I'm working with the EdTech Demonstrator programme at the moment, but having that personal side, I know what an equaliser technology can be, you know, so... Um, you know what, what what everyone's now doing in schools um using a kind of mixed delivery there's actually you know there's all these tools hidden within with the tech people are using it they're finding for the first time like mm. immersive reader and, and you know microsoft or looking at ways that can kind of engage um and i you know i just i just think it's really interesting that in education at the moment we've we have got these very old-fashioned views still i would say um, someone was saying about the olden days, which is like pre-COVID, which I quite like, in the olden times, um, <laughs> you know, there was, there's been a, a bit more difficulty, I think, and and, and particularly around teachers' um, lived experience around disability, um, and they don't necessarily understand what it's like and what the potential, what potential there is. They would do, um, like you said, with the weaving, Liz, they yeah. would do that because they would like, well, we don't want to embarrass, you know, the student. And, you know, it all comes from a really good place, but it, but it's wrong. It's the wrong place. It's it's not yeah. about having those conversations. So when we started to explore things for the GEC framework and what resources we could put in for school leaders, disability and anti-ableism was really important to me. And Liz at the time was working on her 
a project where she's actually getting um, people who who have this lived experience to share their you know their stories, mm. and I really like that with parents and teachers who who don't get that experience, who actually don't really know anyone with a physical disability, who are really uncomfortable about talking about those kind of invisible disabilities, who don't know the right language, who you know are too scared to speak up. We we kind of wanted to make it accessible, and so you know I've learned so much from Liz. Um, and, and 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 I think it's a it's a you know it's a hot point with where those two things come together where technology is that kind of equalizer but that that training that education really needs to do around this as well to be fully inclusive. And Liz, um, are those stories kind of hosted on a podcast? Um, I I kind of get people's stories in in so many different ways. Mm. So um, the project that Nick was just referring to, um, there's actually a document on my website um, called "What Is Disability," um, and I'm starting to work on an, uh, on the next document, which is um, ed- educating around the issues uh, that disabled people face on a daily basis. Um, but I also do run a, yeah, a podcast as well. And, um, also edit a, uh, online publication called conscious being, which is Mm. for disabled women by disabled women. And that's purely about giving a platform for disabled women to, to share their experiences. Um, but think Marie Claire. So there's a little bit of beauty, a little bit of fashion, (laughs) a little bit of culture, all that stuff mixed in as well, but through the lens of being a disabled woman, because, I think it's so important that um, our voices are heard because that's the way people will learn. If you continue to hide disability, then nothing's ever going to change. So it's about really bringing it into the spotlight now and and saying, you know, we're here, we want to be heard, we want to be seen, we want to be believed, we want to be acknowledged, um, and we want to be included in society, in every aspect of society. So there's there's no more ignoring us anymore. <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. Well, on that note, um, I've got a story here. So um, it's someone I know who's a, who's a parent who shared this. So um, they were sort of telling me about trying to access uh, sort of support for a learner with autism, say about 10 years ago. Um, and 10 years later, they were sort of um, back in another room trying to get support for someone else with needs along the same lines. Mm. Um, and in both situations, you know, the people in the room that are supposedly responsible for triaging and, and helping with this support were sort of saying, I'm really sorry, you know, that that's, that's, that's basically it. Like there's not much more we can do. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, her point was like, how is this, uh, how is this allowed how is this Mm. possible and why is it why is it acceptable in the sense that you know over a decade later that that conversation hadn't really moved on and I was sort of wondering from both of your perspectives whether you think that's a sort of a funding thing a tech thing or just sort of joining the dots like why uh, yeah you want to go first Liz yeah I was I was just gonna say I actually think um it's it's even I, I think it's a lot of specific things behind it Mm. Um, because I'll be honest with you nothing has from what I've seen and when I've spoken to other parents when I've spoken to disabled students nothing really has changed much since Mm -hmm. I was at school um, which just astounds me but I actually think a lot of it's cultural I think Mm. if you if you you know you have to put kind of this this big umbrella over it and and actually say there's so many um aspects that we have to challenge and 
and it is because it's a it's a cultural conditioning against disability we're so used to not seeing it and not having to deal with it and I think you know the fact that it's actually you know reasonable adjustment is a legal requirement by yeah. you know it's in the law you know organizations including education that has to meet this legal requirement um, around accessibility and inclusion yet I think for a lot of people it's still just this idea of well no actually I don't really have to do that if if it's going to cost too much or it's going to be too hard it's going to take too much time it's too embarrassing mm. um, I don't want to I don't want to upset the disabled people people or whatever that may be and so I think it is definitely um there has to be this wider cultural shift and that then taps into to everything um tech um education uh representation all of this it's got to be all these shifts um I think for for there to finally be um just this really natural inclusion um and accessibility in in educational spaces yeah I agree I mean I Oh, I'm like oh, shaking. <laughs> um, I think um, what is interesting, if you take the Equalities Act, which was 2010, and we are 10 years after it, yeah, not not that much has happened. And I think no. for all the reasons that, that Liz has said, um, being a parent of a child um, who is currently trying to navigate a system in lockdown is incredibly mm. hard. Um Lots of things have been frozen because of, um, you know, the sort of face-to-face surgeries that are needed and assessments. Um, Also, the um, particularly, I would say, um, with lockdown as well, um, when it comes to autism, where uh, some, you know, the young people might be having sort of huge sensory meltdowns. There's a shift in the regular patterns. Um, mm. that's the whole idea of what's going on is, is a big gray area. And, you know, if you're thinking kind of binary black and white terms, it doesn't, doesn't really help if you're, you're firing off your neurons in the wrong way. And, you know, and that's led to increased, I know from the people I've talked to about, um, self-harm and, and, uh, domestic violence at home with, mm. with, um, with, uh, children that would normally find, you know, sort of a day-to-day quite traumatic, let alone what's going on now. Um, and transitioning through different schools where they've not been able to go and look at them. All those kinds of things that have been going off at the moment have been very difficult. And and I think what happens with things like autism, the, the lack of teacher training, um, the lack of lived experience, the lack of conversations around it. Um, and, and, you know, th- these can be very challenging students. They might be, you know, exhibiting that behaviour at school or at home so that there's that link up with parents and um, it is difficult. And I, and it sometimes feels like it is too difficult for, for some um, educational settings. They don't really know what to do. Um, the um, specialist schools, um, obviously uh, a lot of them were closed down in the last decade as well. It depends on what your regional um, NHS pathways are like, et cetera, et cetera. So th- there's a whole, it's a kind of like what I call the Kaplunk model, there's like all these different marbles and straws, isn't it just? So um, when it comes to these kinds of issues, and I think that happens a lot around any element when it comes to inclusion at the moment in education, you know, the same could be said about sort of anti-racism, the same could be said Mm -hmm. about LGBT plus, um, the same could be said um, a lot of the time about social economic stuff, but it's just not quite there at the forefront when it comes to thinking about child development, about accessing curriculums. Um, and I think when it comes to 
you know, that kind of be invisible or the neurodiverse, um, uh, particularly around the um, autistic spectrum. It, it is hard for people to understand if they haven't had that training. I know you mentioned before, you know, we had obviously the COVID pandemic and it's meant a lot of experiencing remote learning and you know for some that has been a good thing for others it's been more challenging mm. um the sort of Ofsted uh reports that have been done across the year mm. draw the conclusion that you know um children with special educational needs and disabilities um you know sort of suffered more in terms of their learning and support overall mm. um I just wondered then you know what is the kind of uh, sort of challenge to ed tech then in order to say, okay, some of this was good, but what can we do better next time? And how yeah. can we bring the tools that, you know, the technology is definitely there. We did a yeah. whole episode on this before. There's sort of like lists and lists and yeah, reams yeah. and reams. So how do we connect the two, you know, in a more impactful way, I suppose? Well, I think, I think the first thing, there will be a lot of families that also say that not having... Um, the students at school has been a blessing a lot of children have actually engaged more with their learning at home and I think if you look at the home schooling figures which have gone up um, Mm. illustrate that as well Um, although I know a lot of schools are very keen to get their send children into school that is not the case for every single student Um, I think um, when it comes to ed tech there's also a kind of understanding how that child might meet working with a screen uh, there might be challenges with them uh, having a screen I know my son doesn't like zooms or any of those kinds of things um, so that would be a barrier to, to learning um, I think lockdown has proved lots of learning for staff the way that uh, a lot of work was put out in March which was almost like sending work to a supply teacher uh, not a parent that came out is oh, yeah. very different to the work that's happening now and and um, I know that with the Ofsted um, uh, initially that was a voluntary process by the schools um, so you know one would think that those schools would be happy to have Ofsted in if they were volunteering um, when it's come to the government guidance um, around SEND and around early years has has been lacking. Um, uh, partly uh, my frustration has been with that because they are probably, you know, the, the least independent sort of sectors of education that need more support. Um, with the EdTech Demonstrator Programme, I feel really privileged in the Southwest to be working with Neil Beck and his team at National Star, which is a specialist FE college. And actually that has been picked up by the DfE um, and they've just put some guidance around um, assistive technologies and the work that we did with Neil he and I were really keen that it wasn't send tech it was accessible tech because actually there's so much tech as you say out there so that um, really what we're looking at is how the technology makes you productive no matter who you are how you're coming to that and how that can help um, increase your sort of disposition for learning your skills and your knowledge which is essentially what education is about and I think that is the learning around COVID that we've got all these lovely tools we've got all these students but how how do we engage them um, and and how do we personalize it and one thing that I think has been really lacking is the feedback that that teachers give students. And that is extremely important when it comes to those um, students with SEND, um, that, that they are getting that personalised experience still when they're not in the classroom. 
Thank you. Um, so we, I suppose as we're recording this, we're coming to the Christmas uh, season and New Year, which is always hopefully a point of optimism. Um, so I just wondered for both of you, I know that you're both extremely well connected and obviously you met on Twitter. Um, you'll have uh, resources and tools and people that I know you'll be really passionate about, about, you know, how they can help our listeners if they're listening in either from the educator side or in terms of developing um you know technology in the space or thinking about policy so what are your kind of absolute go-to resources or people or projects that you always uh say to people oh you should definitely go off and and, and check this out because that's what I'd love to uh leave people with as well if they're listening in um yeah for for me, um, it might not necessarily be specifically tech, but there is one organisation that I've been doing some work with called We Can Access. They're fairly new off the ground, um, but they've got a website where they encourage um, disabled people and uh, their families and and carers and spouses and that to to kind of uh, be involved and t- and talk about recommendations around not just travel, but but tech and you know all the stuff that kind of impacts disabled people's lives and um so I'd highly recommend kind of following them I think I think as well it's important to say you know there's there's disability edge UK out there as well um definitely give them a follow they had their first uh annual conference last night which was amazing but I felt like you know we really need more people engaging with that because that's how you learn is by following um uh, people with that lived experience and and who have that protected characteristic, um, and you know I just follow as many um, you know on social media as many uh, disabled I- influencers and creatives and um, educators and that as as you possibly can. And you know there's there's so many out there. I wouldn't even know where to start who to mention that that I, I tend to follow. Um, but definitely check out. I think we can access would be a great starting point. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you. Um, I think I would say um, I've come to the EdTech Demonstrator Program. Um, have a look at the website. Uh, we are running till March 2021. If you're a school in college in England, you get free support up to six weeks intensive support. Um, if you want to develop your work around any area or send or um, any maybe hard to reach families, uh, please get in contact with us and um, the regional leads can set you up with a demonstrator in your area to help with this. We've also got a huge range of materials, webinars that we've recorded um, over the last, well, since since March. Um, they're all on the site, they're all free and we have got a special send area. There's also the Accessible Tech Thursdays, which Neil is running uh, with National Star. That's at 4.15. You can find those information on our website. Again, they're free, they're all pre-recorded and they're going through till March on every area from kind of mainstream. Um, there's seminar uh, webinars for parents, but also for more specialist sends around um, therapists. That would be something else. I would also say the GEC, we are doing a lot of work to try and help people understand um, around all the different areas of um, diversity and inclusion, which obviously includes disability and anti-ableism. If you want to know who to follow, maybe have a look at our collective. We've got links on the website of people that really want to help you. And we've just launched our framework and mark called the GEC app. And that is for schools and colleges. You can do uh, an assessment with your staff to work out 
what their uh, thoughts are around your practice and policy when it comes to all nine characteristics of the Equality Act, including disability and socioeconomic status. And then there's all the e-learning um, hub with uh, brilliant, brilliant resources to help you, including those from Liz as well. And then the last thing I would say, if you are, you know, if you've got a website, or you've got some tech out there, check out what devices you can use to make uh, your tech more accessible. Uh, usability is a great widget that you can plug into your existing um, uh, platforms and, and websites, but just make sure that everyone can kind of access your stuff too. Nick mentions usability here, but we had a quick catch up and she remembered that the widget you're after is actually called UserWay. Um, not only that, but she very kindly took the opportunity to reel off a whole load more recommendations for accessible design. So do check out also Equal Web, Avtech, Max Access and Accessibee whilst you're at it. And all links for that are in our show notes. You know, you can, you can get doing something about it, about being more inclusive. That's absolutely amazing. Um, it's been brilliant speaking to you both. I feel like I've had the sort of um, cerebral equivalent of about five espressos. So, um, <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely loving that. Um, and yeah, now I'm pumped and ready to start my day. So thank you both so much. Thanks, so Thanks for brilliant. your time. Thanks, Sophie. That's all for this week. Thank you so much to Nick and Liz for being amazing guests. And um Liz, especially a big thank you for being the first uh, para-Olympian on our podcast. That's very exciting. And I do challenge everyone listening to go and do one thing as a result of listening to their experiences. So for me, I'm going to go and check out Assistive Tech Thursdays a bit more and listen in and learn from that online community. Thanks again to Bet for supporting this series and Form Assembly for supporting this episode. To find out what they're up to and for all the show notes, including resource and reading recommendations from our guests, it's theedtechpodcast.com. And as always, we love to hear from you. If you don't want to leave us a voicemail, you can tweet using the hashtag edtechpod and bet2021. That's all for now. Have a great week. Bye bye.